It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Our guest this week is Samir Panja, who is a professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He teaches creative writing, Asian American literature, and also, more importantly for our purposes, has just written a terrific tennis book, Members Only, which uh, tennis figures prominently, both as a, a plot device and a metaphor. I absolutely devoured this book. We will link it uh, and link the Amazon page on our show page. But this is a fun conversation talking about tennis, talking about writing, talking about tennis as a storytelling device. Full disclosure, uh, Samir and I share a publisher and a publicist, so I want to dispense with that. But this is a really fun conversation, a fun book, a timely book. Um, I think people will, will love this book, Members Only, it's called. And here is a, uh, an enjoyable half-hour conversation. Here we go. I start off by congratulating you. Uh, I really, you know, people binge watch uh, TV shows. I binged Red Members Only and uh, plowed through it, and it, it did not disappoint. Congratulations. No, seriously, congrats. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's really smart and funny, and I, I thought, uh, we'll talk about this later, I thought very topical, and it's also does, does tennis right. So you succeeded on many dimensions as far as I'm concerned. Congrats. <sighs> I, I I will say that you saying it did tennis right is uh, means particularly a lot because you know I, I think in in terms of different kinds of readers right there's there's always specific details if I'm reading something and if somebody gets a core detail wrong which is not that big of a deal it can be it can break it for me. You know, I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Right. I can't go down this road trusting this person. And so I'm really happy to hear that. I mean, tennis is a big, I love the sport and we can also talk about that as well. But um, so that's great. And thank you. I, you know, I, I wrote it with a certain kind of kind of propulsion in mind. Right. And 
I, I kind of want it to be read that way. And then um, hopefully there are other things, you know, that you can go back to, or you can think about it in different ways in terms of how Raj operates in this, in this book um, that can take a little bit more consideration. But, you know, in these, in these days, I want to read a book quickly. And um, I think in some ways I wanted to write a book that people could read quickly as well. The, um, I, I always say like, it's, you, know, you talk not, I feel like you talk about a nonfiction book and everything's on the table, right? Everything's an excerpt. I, I feel, I don't know what sort of license uh, you'd like me to take. I don't know how much we can reveal here. Well, let, let's start. You, you alluded to your character. So let's, let's start there. Uh, yeah. To, to tennis fans, uh, it is not spelled R-A-J as your character is, but, uh, you know, Raj is a, a name of relevance to tennis fans. Um, I mean, just, you, you mentioned the details you, uh, you got right. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the second somebody writes about tennis and calls, you know, a, a rally a volley, um, we've got issues. Right. You did not do that. So this, this either was uh, studious research or else you really have some grounding in tennis. What's, what's your background with the sport? Yeah. You know, so I, so, we came, we moved to America when I was eight years old. Uh, I lived in Bombay until I was eight. I was a huge cricket fan. I played a ton of cricket. And we moved into a um, kind of an apartment complex when we arrived here. And, uh, uh, and there was a tennis court right next to it. Where, where was and it? This was in the East Bay. This was east of uh, Berkeley in in, in, a, in a city called San Pablo. And, um, you know, I, I think when I was like nine or 10 years old, there was a man who would always come there and hit serves, like 10 down the tee, 10 out wide, 10 down the tee, 10 out wide. And I just started going down there and um, collecting balls for him. And this, and he was, I think, a, a, you know, it was him and his wife, they didn't have kids and, you know, in a lovely gesture at some point he showed up with a tennis racket and kind of showed me how to shift the grip for a forehand and a backhand, which was my first official lesson in the game. And so I, I so I pl started playing there. I played through high school and, you know, and then I, I stopped playing the game for years. I stopped playing it in college. I didn't play it in graduate school. Um, you know, I moved, my wife and I moved to New York uh, for five years where I had my first academic job, you know, getting courts in New York, as you know, is not an easy task. And so I have always kind of played the game. And then also I just love the, the game, the pro game as well, right? Which is that I wasn't quite, you know, aware of the Borg, McEnroe, Connors era but I think I really started watching it with Lendl and Wielander and Edberg. Those are the, I think, and Michael Chang. So that was that kind of mid, my time, I think it's that mid eighties moment. And so I've, I've been kind of a fan of the sport in that way throughout the time. And then I've, you know, it's a great middle-aged sport. Like I love, I, I, I love the sociality of it. I but love- the play, the play you're talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in both of those things. So that's why I'm just, it is as a kind of, as both a spectator and as a player, um, it's the one sport that I kind of gravitate towards the most. 
your your book is titled Members Only. Again, I, I feel like I want to tiptoe here and not give up too much, but it does, you know, the, the tennis club, yeah. it's uh, membership practices figure prominently. Do you, mm -hmm. uh, do, where, where do you play? You a member of a club or? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a small kind of, uh, you know, one of the things, it, it's a kind of a very California type of place, right? It's a, it's a simple kind of, uh, we live in Santa Barbara and it's, uh, you know, and I say this in the book a little bit. I grew up in the East Bay playing public courts because that is what was there, right? Meaning that that is what we played, right? And there were certainly kids in high school that um, kind of went off, you know, in Berkeley, they went off to, you know, to practice at the Claremont. Like I said, they played at the fancy, the fancy hotel on the hill. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so I remember, I'm like, what is the Claremont? And what do you do at the Claremont? Right. And so it was always kind of in my head. And of course, you know, when you're in the 10th, 11th grade, you just, those, those class distinctions are hard to figure out, right? You can't quite make sense of it. Right. And so, um, you know, th this one kind of, where I play now is an interesting place. And, you know, and let me just be clear, which is kind of where I play in this kind of fictional space that I've created are meant to be very distinct, right? Like that there is, uh, and they have overlaps, they have similarities, and yet there is a kind of a, a distinction there as well, right? That what I wanted to do was to set it in the social space of a tennis club a liberal California type of place right. and to then think about the issues that kind of occur in spaces like that. I was going to say, I mean, at some level, the, the tennis club is a metaphor. At some level, I thought it's very specific and uh, it's, it's, it's a very specific place um, that I pictured when, uh, when you took me there in, in your book. Um, well, let's get back to tennis in a second. I'm curious, um, what is it like? I, I feel like you have the best of both worlds and the worst of both. I mean, what's it like having a book coming out now when uh, there, are, there are no book tours and we're all consigned to our homes? But the flip side of that is, I thought in other ways, this is a very relevant, resonant book and yeah. themes yeah. of inclusion and cancel culture. I mean, in some ways, you nailed June 16th, uh, 2020. In other ways, I imagine, you know, this is not how you envisioned your book coming out with uh, a lot of zooming. Yeah, no, look, th this is, uh, I think when we all kind of went into lockdown in March, right, there was no way to know kind of what was going to happen, right? And so in my mind, I was thinking that, oh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be fine, right? Three weeks, four weeks. So all of that has changed. So on one level, I absolutely would have loved, like every writer loves, to go to bookstores and to meet friends, to meet new, uh, new readers, right? Because in some ways, going to kind of, going to different cities, going to New York or Los Angeles, DC, it's also this kind of lovely occasion to kind of, celebrate this thing you've been sitting in your office working on for years and right. you know that experience right it is it is lonely writing that thing it is lonely to think that you may not finish it so in some ways of course those tours are about 
getting the book out, et cetera, et cetera. But it is, I think, a very specific social practice as well, right? Which is, it's, it's that kind of, it's, you, it's a deeply celebratory moment. Now, the, the resonance to this moment in so many different ways is kind of what I do find interesting, right? Which is that I, you know, started writing this book several years ago and there are aspects of the kinds of ways in which we are talking about race now or the ways in which we are talking about um, notions of inclusion versus exclusion, right? So these are, they weren't just tremors, right? These are things that we've, we, we have all been noticing for a long time, right? You know, in, in some ways, we, when we think back on the summer of 2020 or the spring of 2020, uh, we'll kind of think about the ways in which all of these pieces came together in these kind of months of everyone being home and then these weeks and months of everyone being out in the streets in different kinds of ways. Right. But ultimately, as a writer, the, the fact that kind of this story that I've written about a middle-aged man going through crisis at a tennis club and at a university campus that if that smaller story can help us think about these larger kind of issues on kind of how we talk about race and kind of what different kind of racializations look like, um, I'm, 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 I'm glad I'm able to do that. I'm glad, you know, to be a part of that conversation because it's a conversation I've been having in my head. It's a conversation I've been having with my friends forever, right? And that feels gratifying in that particular kind of way right no and i and i think um i mean again i really want to be cautious i want people to read this book and not uh i don't want to taint the jury much less give away endings but no i mean i think there's this balance between recognizing these these indignities these you know i, I hate the word microaggression but we'll call them that but you also really also i thought take some shots at this cancel culture and maybe we should not be expelling people and damaging reputations and families and careers and status because of an ill-considered remark. Um, I mean, again, I, in, in tennis terms, I think kind of, kind of hit, hit your sweet spot really well there. Um, how yeah. do you think about these two extremes? Yeah, no, and it's interesting because for me, what, what's fascinating about where Raj finds himself is in some ways he's being canceled by the left and the right yeah. all at the same yeah. time, right? So that this kind of very liberal space is kind of ready to cancel him. And this very kind of conservative space is, or at least a group of students from this very conservative space is kind of doing it as well, right? And I think that in some ways, I, I, I am curious of kind of how one slip up in, in Raj's case, one kind of re kind of stitching of a video of a lecture that he gives can kind of allow for these things to explode in the way that they do, right? And I think that there's a way in which um, the, the speed of the book is also asking for pauses as well, right? Which is to kind of, to, to slow down a little bit and to kind of think about kind of the pieces of these arguments that we are having. And, um, and I think that in a way that that's, I think what 
those are the movements that we are going to make, right? Which is we're gonna go from kind of an intensity to then kind of being able to kind of step away a little bit to think about these kind of ways in which kind of we do the things that we do and how we are to kind of adjudicate, right? How we are to judge the kinds of things that Raj says. Is it, is it kind of worthy of him being completely expelled or can he kind of come back in a particular kind of way? Here I say, if I were submitting this for your class, I would be inclined to write, uh, to sort of have some of the same rhythms and cadences of a, of a tennis match maybe. Um, you know, not just comebacks and setbacks and break points, but sometimes it's offense and sometimes it's defense. I mean, I, I really, I, I felt tennis in the story. And I don't know if that was by accident or design, but I feel like I could, I could write a 10 page paper about that if I had to. Yeah. Um, I, in, intentional or no? Oh, I mean, in, in a way it's, you know, uh, who had the five hour matches, Mehut and who? Yeah, and John Isner, right. And John yeah. Isner, right? Which is I have five uh yeah, seventy. Yeah, so and this is like the five, you know, this kind of the period of the five days, right? Which is so that there is in some ways kind of the rhythms of the match itself. But you know, the other way that I where tennis was so kind of central in thinking about it was what I tried to do with the structure of the book, meaning the back and forth between the, the present moment, the front story, and all the, the back story of Raj, right? Which is, I, of course, I don't need to kind of remind you that, you know, um, levels of the game was, you know, the McPhee book is sure. the blueprint, right? Which is you can take Ash and Gabner, and he told this entire story about them while he was telling the story of the match, right? And I think that that's what I tried to do in the novel, which is how can I keep you interested in the match, which is the front story, while slipping in enough stuff so that as it keeps moving, the, there's more and more depth that is created with this character, right? So that you, can, you, you, you may not like Raj, you may not forgive Raj, but hopefully you can understand the layers that shape the kinds of decisions that he ends up making. Right. No, and I, I think you're absolutely, I think that's a great comparison. I mean, you're, you've compressed the story into well, a week, well, five days, I think. Yeah. But you really take a number of detours, so it, it, uh, it encompasses a lot more time than that. What, you mentioned level of the game. What, what other tennis writing impacted you or have you enjoyed? Um, it's interesting. I mean, it is, that is, in some ways, you know, I, I started with that book, you know, I loved, you know, Ash, I thought the, the autobiographies are terrific, right? So the, the one that Ash wrote with, um, with Arnold Rampersad. Yeah, yeah, the Days of Grace. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, Open is a terrific, terrific book, you know, which is, a, you know, the Agassiz book, which I think I, I could, I would happily kind of read over, right? Is because uh, that one works really well. Um, I mean, not to, I mean, it is interesting, right? Like in the other, not just tennis, but the other big book kind of as a kind of a sports book that I've always drawn to is, you know, the, the cricket book, the CLR James book, Beyond a Bound. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah so the, those are, you know, the, the, those kind of work in kind of particular ways. Um, what's also fun is 
placing sports within novels is also a, is something I kind of enjoy, right? Which is that there's a way, I mean, the DeLillo book, which is, which is of course about football, Endzone is about football, but he does that really well, right? Like I think he uses the sport to tell a particular story about America, which is in some ways I, I kind of want to use, you know, tennis, which has very kind of exclusive aspects of how it operates and kind of to think about what that can tell us about this particular moment, right? To stick an Indian American guy within this space, within, you know, both the literal place that you were describing, but also the metaphor of what, not only the, what the tennis court is, right? Which is presumably that you step onto this place and it is, it's pure meritocracy on that space, right? Which is you either win or you lose. But ultimately that tennis court is of course placed in a certain, you know, location, which is you got to walk to the tennis court and that walk becomes kind of very important as it does the, the play that you're engaged in. Yeah, but I, you know, at the same time, I, th I thought one thing that really struck me is you have this, this exclusivity and you have, I mean, it's, there's, there's a process you have to go through to be a member. And then the act itself is so easy that Raj plays on the way home from work or when he has a spare hour. We're not talking about a, a golf outing or a regatta or, I mean, you have this, this exclusivity, but it's a whole endeavor to play. I mean, it's, the, the membership may have been exclusive, but the act itself is something you can do when you have this, this small window of time and you get out of your car and start hitting balls. Absolutely, right? And that there is something, and this is just my own kind of tennis stuff, kind of I'm wearing on my sleeve, right? Which is you end up hitting, so on one hand, you end up hitting so many balls so that the possibility of hitting a decent shot when you hit a hundred balls is, gets higher, right? Yeah, the more right. you hit, the Where more you, block. Can, yeah, exactly. the more you can hit the sweet spot. Right. And it is in some ways part of the reason why he is so drawn to Bill as much as he is, right? It's because what he wants more than anything else is this, the, the grace of just the two of them hitting the tennis ball back and forth, right? Where every, all the other noise goes away, where all you hear is the kind of the sound of the ball. And I, in that way, that is absolutely right, right? That you can, you can accomplish a lot in an hour on that court in a way that you would, you know, where with other things you'd need just more time and more work and more things to do. Right. Well, he, wa he wants to have this exchange with Bill, but uh, the, the verbal exchange is more daunting than yeah. smacking, smacking balls back and forth. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Did you, uh, was there significance to Raj? Are you, are you a Federer fan? <laughs> well, you know, I, I am, my mother is a big Federer fan. And so she and I have connected over Federer uh, for years, right? And, you know, I wrote a, an essay about this a while ago, but it disturbed me how much she was upset when he lost, you know, like in a visceral way, as if like, and there is, I mean, his cultural presence is, is such that way, right? Like he is, I think there's a kind of an affect to him that allows for that kind of, you know, Right. That kind of connection right. that I think that my mom has. I mean, I, he is a remarkable tennis player to watch. You know, I saw him at Indian Wells in 2019. And it's, it's, he, it is a, it is a thing to behold, right? And it is, and, and I think, it, I, I watched a match back to back. You know, Serena came on first and then he came on next. And both of them are and I think you can say that about a lot of tennis players, and I suspect you can say that about Nadal as well, that seeing them in person is way different than seeing them on television, right? The, the movement and the explosion is just, the, the, the live bit just does the work in a way that, you know, you can have as much, as high definition as you want on your TV. It just doesn't do the same kind of work. The... Um... I would say one of the ironies of, uh, and I, I feel like in, in full disclosure, you, you and I share a, a publisher and publicist. I feel like we need to get that out of the way. But um, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes by the time the book comes out, you've already moved on to other projects. When, when did you finish this book that is releasing next week? Yeah, it, I finished this book. I think we finished, I, I, I sold the book in the summer of 2018. I did edits through it through kind of the rest of 2018 and into 2019 and then yeah so i've been done with it since i think june of 2019 you know or or july not june i I think we went later into the summer i mean let's just say i've been done with it since in since the fall of 2019 right and um so yeah it's interesting because i am I've moved on to other things. I've moved on from Raj. But, you know, I I remember reading this thing or someone was saying that, you know, in terms of writing, which is you only finish a book two or three years after you're sick of writing it, you know? And that's what's really hard about writing books, which is if only you could think of the idea, write it up and be done, we would all write so many more books, you know? But yeah, so I, I am, you know, in some ways... I'm kind of, I finished it a while ago, but our world is also, or our country has also changed significantly. Kind of a lot of things have happened, which also kind of the book suddenly reappears in different kinds of ways in my head.
that's a good way to uh, good way to frame it. But have we? Uh, is this the last we're going to see of Raj, or do we, uh, are we? Are we thinking about another week in his life? Yeah. No. You know. So two things. It's. I'm not entirely. Sh I, I first. I don't know. I don't know if I can just do a week, right? Like maybe it's interesting about the the timing of it, right? Which is, on one level, it can be. Um, you know, there are books written over a day, there are books written over a weekend, a week, and then there are others that are longer. So it'll be interesting to kind of think about kind of the, 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 the timestamp, but I'm just, I'm just not done with Raj, right? Like in a way, um, you know, I, I think I, I, want to, I, I want to follow him um, kind of as, as he gets, goes along. And, you know, I, I read the rabbit books when I was younger. I was going to say, exactly. We have, we have a rich uh, history of this, don't we? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. I, I was reading like... Sports for you? Yeah, what's that? No, oh, there's another example of sports as a, as a device. Exactly. No, that's... And honestly, I think that if I'm remembering right in that first rabbit book, like that, it's the golf game he has with the priest, right? That it is this kind of... They, they talk through it and... Um, so that's a kind of an interesting model, right? Is because he was able to tell this, use him to tell this kind of one aspect of kind of the American moment. Right. And yeah. I mean, I also, you know, Roth is also someone else I love reading. And, you know, uh, he has kind of a, you know, Z Zuckerman shows up in all sorts of various different kinds of ways. So uh, that's a much longer way of saying I'm not done with Raj. He is, I, I kind of, I kind of want to hang out with him a little bit longer. So, uh, so, so do we. So uh, get, get, get on that. That's great. Yeah. Um, this is great. I mean, um, I, I thought, you know, part of me thought we could, we could all use a break from tennis or no matches. It's been a pretty heavy uh, few months for all of us. But the flip side is, I think this book, in a lot of ways, nails this moment we're living in and nails the perils of cancel culture and nails inclusivity and exclusivity and indignities and um again i um i say congrats it's really it's really an achievement yeah no i mean i will say um i love spending my summers going from watching the french open to wimbledon to maybe now the u.s open i'm not sure how that's all gonna <laughs> kind of work itself out and so um you know i was thinking that may, in, in the absence of some of that i think that this is this book is a way of, you know, I think it begins with tennis, of course, and I think you've, you've been saying this, it begins with tennis, but then it kind of moves on to these other things. But tennis is still genuinely the heartbeat of the book, right? Is because in a way, Raj loves the sport, right? Like he he loves what a court looks like, right? And, 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 I, and I've always kind of, kind of felt a sense of wonder about it as well, right? Like it is this weird thing. There's this bunch of squares, right? And we, a lot of amazing things happen on those things, right? And it is such a, um, uh, such a kind of a variety of ways that you can play and you can engage and so much stuff is happening as you are playing, right? Like if, if you know, if only, like I could quiet my head when I was, as I was about to win a set, right? But I simply cannot do it, right? And that's always the kind of the pleasure of it and the pain of it that, you know, your ability to control the chaos that is pushing from the outside while you're on the inside, 
right? And I kind of, you know, it, it, Raj tries to do it. And, you know, there's a, there's a doubles match in the middle of the, middle of the book where he fails miserably, right? It's because he thinks that playing this match and winning it is going to fix what ails him, right? And of course, uh, it doesn't work out that way at all. And, and his aggrieved partner uh, holds that against him. Uh, oh, no. Transgression, but anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, uh, all right, this is great. We're, uh, we're, we're almost out of Zoom bandwidth, which is what my life has devolved into during uh, Corona. But um, yeah. this is great. I really, again, I, I congratulate you first, and uh, it was a pleasure talking, and I will, um, I will be recommending this book heartily. So I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you, John, I, so much. And um, this is a fun conversation. No, likewise. Very good. Um, all right. We want more Raj. Okay. Spoken. Coming uh, up. Well, okay. Take care. Take care, sweetie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, thanks to Samir. Uh, enjoyed the conversation, and I really enjoyed this book. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Members only. It really uh, works on a number of levels and also figures, uh, tennis figures prominently, and uh, it's really well depicted. So, uh, again, we will uh, put a book link in there. Um, and I want to invite in our uh, outstanding producer. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. Let's move on from. Uh, Samir and members only, and let's talk about the big news break. We have a U.S. Open. It uh, is to be determined what exactly it will look like and who will play, but we have official word 2020 U.S. Open is on. How, uh, how does that make you feel? We've talked about this a lot for the last few weeks. How are you uh, feeling now that it's official? We have, and I think I'm still on that mixed emotions boat um, and talking with some colleagues and friends and people and seeing everything it's you know the plan is all laid out and it, it seems like it could work but then on the flip side you take a step back and again we've talked about this over and over again and it maybe just doesn't seem right uh with a possible second wave looming and you know with the new york city as the epicenter of all of this as the backdrop i'm still a little bit torn on whether or not this is a good idea but it seems like it's going to happen so Lots of questions I have for you. I mean, are are we as media going to be allowed there? What's the the rules and regulations there? And in reading through the player protocols, it seems like they have adjusted a little bit on the number of team members allowed. I, I didn't see anything specifically about only one person per team. So I, it seems like there was some adjustments there after some initial pushback when that was being considered. So 
Uh, looks like starting, I guess, mid-August, August 20th, with qualifying with the Western and Southern Open, we'll, we'll possibly have some tennis. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we may even get an event before that. I don't know if it's official, but I'm hearing that Washington, D.C. will move into that Cincinnati slot. It may only be men's only, but it looks like Washington, D.C. is going to happen. Then we're going to have Cincinnati. Then we're going to have the U.S. Open for two weeks. Then we move on to the clay of Europe, and suddenly we get a very compressed season. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are a lot of questions that still – haven't been answered. And I think in some ways there, there's still a bit of a wait and see here. I mean, the, the top right. line and bottom line, have we, have we decided is, is big news top line or bottom line? Have we, uh, <laughs> we reach a consensus there. Um, the big takeaway is the pl plans are afoot for officially a 2020 U S open. There's government approval. Governor Cuomo had some, some funny remarks about that. And I think a lot of these details are honestly, you know, this is a, a fluid situation and, and data is changing and science is changing and we keep hearing about these waves. Um, so I, I think a lot of these details will, you know, I, I don't, I think they're going to be revealed based on uh, the, the scene on the ground and based on the science. Um, specific question. Somebody asked me whether there will be wild cards. I am told there will. So, uh, you know, Jack Sock will get to appear in the draw, even if his uh, ranking doesn't merit that. Um, the, I, I think we can link to this perhaps, but, uh, somebody had sent me the, the various protocols, the two pager that the players got. I thought it was interesting. We hear that, you know, the, the baseball protocols are, I think 68 pages and the NBAs are 131 and have things like, you know, no doubles ping pong NBA players are told, uh, this first round from the USDA to the players was, was two pages. Um, as you say, it does seem as though the, these entourage restrictions have been uh, have been relaxed, and whether that was through lobbying and negotiation, or whether again that was just what the science indicated, who knows? I think we also should distinguish between an entourage coming into the country and an entourage coming on site. So if you're Serena Williams, maybe you can have your whole family and your team back at the hotel, and then only bring one member to the venue. Right. Uh, you asked about media, Jamie. I, I was told. Um, Unlikely to have media, though there will be some accommodations. Uh, if I were overseas journalist, I, I would probably not be spending money on, on travel. There will likely be, I was told there will likely be some sort of press conference via Zoom. Maybe there'll be, you know, I, I suggested this to someone, maybe there'll be a daily pool reporter. So one journalist will be on site and uh, reporting on the matches and, and taking quotes and hopefully providing some behind the scene color. It looks like ESPN will be the lone broadcast there. But um, again, we've seen a number of sports. It's easy to broadcast an event without broadcast. They can be remote and we, we may have uh, match coverage from other courts from people who just aren't on site. And, you know, I mean, again, I think that the big picture here, I think you, you said it very well, which is on the one hand, it's great that tennis is resuming. You know, golf is back. It looks like the NBA is back. Um, a lot of hurdles had to be, there's a lot of contorting going on to make this happen. And at the same time, I, I think it's totally fair to sort of ha have some trepidation as well. And, you know, it's the, the rates are trending in the right way, but, you know, it, it sure ain't zero in Queens. And international travel is still fraught, and it still remains to be seen whether players from every eligible country will even allow people to leave the country. Still a lot of questions here. So uh, it is a balance. Uh, people are going to be 
happy and unhappy either way. And I think it's completely reasonable that we have this, this spectrum of uh, reaction and emotion here. I think one of the other interesting things in, in reading some of the protocols, you know, we had talked about locker rooms. Um, we talked about the suites being, you know, used. And I think there was a line in there that they will be available as private lounge areas for the top 32 seeds, um, which is just interesting. And, you know, uh, as we talk about how some of the, the top players have a little bit more advantage in certain areas. So again, this, this tournament will be really interesting, not only based on the players that and the quality, the caliber of players who decide to play, but also those middle of the road, you know, um, outside of the top 50, top 100 players who suddenly feel that this is their moment, this is their opportunity. I, you know, cannot imagine that if you're one of those players, you're not seeing this as your chance to catapult to the top because maybe the top players aren't there or because maybe you feel like you've been training this whole time and now everyone's in a flux situation and all of a sudden you can rise to the top here it's going to be really interesting to see how the players deal with uh you know the little things on the court whether it's their own toweling or balls or just no crowd in general and how that affects some of the players who are really used to that again some of these players ranked outside top 50 top 100 top 200 whatever it is they're more used to that type of tennis than some of the other players so it's it's going to be interesting yeah i i think uh it's sort of an interesting list to go down um We've talked a lot about coach versus physio, and, and if, in fact, and again, it's unclear from the release that we all saw, but uh, if, in fact, you have to limit your entourage, do you take the coach or do you take the physio? I would imagine after this kind of a long layoff, uh, I'm calling the physio. I think it's going to be interesting to see how players will react to the absence of crowds. I mean, could, could you imagine playing in you know, the semifinals, finals of the U.S. Open, one of these crowning moments of your career, and you had more matches when you played a regional girls 12s event somewhere. I mean, it must be very strange. Somebody wrote this to me. They said, you imagine sort of, you know, you, you win the U S open and you lift the trophy and there are five people cheering. Um, exactly. The, the run up to the player's box uh, is, is takes on a, a different, um, a different tenor. I think you're right. I mean, it's something that I thought was interesting. I was told there will be, full data through the umpire's chair. But I, but I wondered if you weren't able to tell not just winners and errors, but if you didn't have the full complement of stats that you ordinarily do, uh, for a growing number of players, that would really impact their preparation. I think the, the rhythms are going to be strange. I mean, it's not going to feel at all like a, a major tournament, as you say. But I also think play, tennis players, especially athletes in general, really good at adjusting. And I suspect that and a fairly short amount of time, players will make adjustments. And if they're not fans cheering their winners, that's, that's okay. And if uh, they can hear their coaches groaning when they make an unforced error, they'll adjust to that. But um, it, it, will, it will be interesting. I want to, um, Jamie, you made a really good point a few weeks ago that we, we can all say reflexively, this will have an asterisk and, you know, already we know that Federer's not playing and it's, uh, unlikely Nadal will play and Ash Barty and Hollop. I mean, a number of players have really been um, less than enthusiastic and it's already led to this charge that this will somehow be uh, a, a diluted event. Mm -hmm. 
you, you raised a really good point a few weeks ago that um, someone wrote to me this morning, a, a mailbag reader, but I feel like I'm licensed to, uh, to read this since this was submitted for uh, the public. From Chad Allagood, who writes, following the news that the US Open will indeed move forward, I've seen a lot of chatter about an asterisk on the ultimate winner due to potential absence of stars. Uh, if this year's U.S. Open does indeed come off, its champions will triumph not with an asterisk, but with their names in bold. Here's why. The beauty and pain of tennis are inextricable from its status as an individual sport. For all the talk of a team in press conferences these days, it's not Craig Tizer who clocks that topspin forehand or Uncle Tony who runs a marathon worth of sprints during a major title. Um, in singles, it's each individual player on their own. The numerous safety measures the USDA has introduced will throw this into sharp relief. No massage therapists, no recovery trucks, no family. Uh, this will be tennis at its most elemental and individual, and as such, at its most brutal. This, USO, this year's U.S. Open champions will face challenges that are literally without precedent, both physically and mentally. They'll endure all the ups and downs of the endemic. Um, and then win a normal major without the modern conveniences of a Grand Slam squad or the immediate comforts of their entourage, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that is so well put. Um, and that is the point that you made several weeks ago. And I, I really think we ought to be dwelling on that. Um, what, what will it say to you when two players win seven matches under these conditions? Yeah, I mean, that was really well put. And like I, I brought that up and I think it's so true. I mean, Think about all of these, like he said, the modern conveniences, you know, it's almost like tennis for this U.S. Open is going to take a step back uh, in history as much of uh, technology and temperature testing and swabbing and all of the things that are so modern, um, you know, in terms of the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything the U.S. Open is doing. We're also going to be taking a step back in terms of the tennis and it is going to be, you know, raw brutal and just very one verse one as the game really is inherently so um uh, all of these obstacles that we talk about physical mental uh when you go home and you um you know are probably really uncomfortable i mean we've all had this ongoing anxiety i think you know whenever we're even traveling from you know the house to the grocery store or just you know walking by someone we we have this this feeling in our chest, you know, we're worried. There's, there is this, there is still this concern, um, you know, about catching this virus and, and how you can be, you know, how you would be spreading it or whatever the case is. So I think there's so many elements um, that we don't even think about after, you know, the, the matches are over, before the matches happen. And, you know, he mentions family not being there. I think that's another thing that um, will really differentiate the younger and older players in this field. You talk about, we obviously know Federer's not playing, um, you know, but these older players with families, the children, wives, husbands, mm -hmm. they, they have something, you know, else and they have other people to worry about in their lives. Um, for some of the younger players who maybe are on their own and don't have that, they may not care as much to get on a plane to, you know, come to the U.S. Open and play. There's a lot less for them to lose. I think um, I read something that Donna Vecic said that, you know, she's, she's not scared of the virus. She's happy to go play and um, she's, she's ready. So that's a really young perspective. And that's someone who has a, a different viewpoint than an older player who, you know, may have whatever it is, kids, family, older parents. Um, there's, there's really going to be a divide um, more so than ever. 
and it's it's going to be so interesting to see. I, I'm fascinated by this whole conversation, and at some level, it's satisfying because we'll actually get some some concrete answers. But I think there's so many factors that cut both ways. And I think uh, on one hand, yeah, this is going to advantage the younger players who don't have children at home that they're worried about and their bodies are more limber. And I mean, candidly, they, they have younger parents. Um, you know, right. I mean, I know for, for some of us whose parents are in their 70s, it's, it's something that really needs to be considered. I mean, Coco Goff's parents are not in their 70s. Um, the flip side of all this too, though, I wonder about the one thing this has revealed is the, I don't want to say desperation, but there, there's real sort of financial challenge for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are Stan Wawrinka, you, I mean, I, I he's a bad, bad example because I'm not convinced he's going to play, but you know, if, if you're pick a veteran player, if you're Gaio Monfils, you don't necessarily need the money right now. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, I heard one player say, listen, if I win one match, this year is salvaged. Um, you know, it's, it's close to $100,000 if you get to the second round. On the one hand, it's great that the USTA is providing this opportunity. The flip side is that, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, if you're ranked number 80 and you're viewing the US Open as a chance to salvage the year professionally, that's a lot of pressure on a best of three match or a best of five match. So I think for every factor that you say, oh, this is going to benefit the veterans, you know, hey, Roger Federer has a home gym. Or, right. you know, again, these, these players, there's, there's a note in the, in the guidelines I sent about how renting a private house is about $40,000. Yeah. And yeah, if, if you're Serena Williams, you know, $40,000 is pocket change and probably is honestly is a good investment. Uh, it's probably about what she would spend on lodging anyway. There are a lot of other players, not that much, lower in the rankings for whom $40,000 in lodging for one tournament is laughable. So right. I, I just think for every factor that suggests the younger players or the middle of the pack players will benefit, there's a countervailing factor that goes against it. I think this is a big, big opportunity. I mean, what, what I was told was Serena Williams has indicated that she will play and that assuaged a lot of concerns. And it doesn't mean it's a guarantee, but Serena has given suggestions. She's, she's interested in playing. And that really galvanized, I mean, that, that put ESPN at ease, that really helped the USDA soldier on. They're going to get one star. And, you know, I, I think that um, other players are probably not going to play. And if you're I'm picking names at random here, but if, if you're Zverev, if you are Tsitsipas, if you're Daniil Medvedev, Monfils, th- this is a huge, huge opportunity. So again, a lot of players are going to be uh, coming with, with different sorts of motivations and different rationales and different reasons for playing, different justifications. Other players are probably going to be sitting this out and saying, you know what, I'm going to ease into this thing. And it looks like the French Open is going to not only happen, but happen with fewer restrictions. I'm not going to cross an ocean and deal with the craziness of the airport hotel situation. I'm going to get myself in shape in, uh, in, in August and be ready to hit the clay. So it's, yeah. uh, it's going to be fascinating. And I think the, the point you raised several weeks ago, Jamie, is really a good one, that it's very easy to say, oh, this is uh, an asterisk title. And I think a, a much more nuanced and I think ultimately a much more correct explanation is whoever wins this title is really – revealed an awful lot about themselves and their character and their professionalism. For sure. I think the, the French Open really is an interesting wrinkle that we, we kind of 
you know, keep talking about at the end of this conversation, but, you know, for players like Nadal or um, whoever else is really trying to consider the pros and cons here, there's a very quick transition from the U.S. hard courts to the clay with the U.S. Open timing and with the, you know, with Cincinnati and whether we play D.C. I mean, it's a very compressed U.S. hard court season. And then basically a few weeks later, you're back over and playing on clay Mm -hmm. at the French Open. And I think to your point, a lot of people who are in Europe or, um, you know, maybe they prefer the clay. Maybe they're they're, They believe that 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 opportunity that we're talking about with the U.S. Open maybe they believe that for them that opportunity is better on clay, you know, in Europe at the French open for, for various reasons that we talk about. So I think that will be, that's really an interesting wrinkle. And, you know, of course, during all this in the early weeks when tennis was shutting down, we really, um, it was very interesting how the French open sort of just put its stake in the ground um, without really consulting anyone. And with, you know, they really just, claimed this spot on the calendar in late September and here we are you know still two months out before this tournament begins in the U.S. and so I think there's still a lot of um, you know restrictions and regulations that could possibly impact whether or not this actually happens but for the foreseeable future we have a very compact tennis calendar and it's going to be really interesting interesting to see who chooses to play when and um, and where and as you said, who wins this title, uh, it's, it's really going to be one for the history books for sure. That's a, probably a good place to, uh, good place to wrap. Um, it's been an interesting week in tennis and uh, there's, there's actually a, a USTA press conference about to begin right now. We're recording this on Wednesday. I suspect they'll answer a few of these. But again, I mean, I think um, there will be game time decisions. And this pandemic has, fortunately, in, in New York anyway, it does seem to have crested and the, and the numbers are improving, but it's sure, uh, it's, it's sure still a thing. And as long as that's the case, um, I think a lot of these calls are going to have to be made on the fly based on the data and the science. So we'll see. Quite a wrinkle. But um, again, the takeaway is the, the 2020 U.S. Open uh, has officially gotten its stamp to move ahead. And so... We'll be talking tennis. Uh, there, may, there may not be fans there and there may not be media there, but we'll be talking tennis um, throughout the summer in anticipation of the first major uh, since Australia commencing at its regularly scheduled time. Uh, Jamie, I thank you as always. Thank you. This was, uh, this was fun. And I'm actually looking forward to reading uh, members only as well. Um, absolutely. Great read. Um, all right. This was great. We will, uh, we'll do it again next week. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the guest suggestions. Uh, leave a review, subscribe, Amazon, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and, uh, we'll do it again in seven days. Have a good week, everyone.